0: But you make I these comments. Let me say, you say Tennyson knocks out Javante Davis. Yeah. Tennyson, I believe, is retired. Yeah, yeah, he is retired. Yeah, he's retired. So I said to you, the top of my game, I'd have been sick. I have no shame in standing by that. I don't care if people say you wouldn't have. I think I would have. And you know, we'll never know. So I can say as much as I want. And if it winds people up, so what? at the top of my game, I believe that. And if you know you're boxing, come argue with me. If you don't know you're boxing, don't waste your time. You know, and, and that's it. Tennis, and what I said about tennis, I said, with that kind of power, if he touches my man on his chin, he's gone. He's gonna beat him up, go right, and deal with him. I'm thinking, if you're a fighter and you can land them kind of shots on somebody, you're gonna knock him out. I'm not saying he would have done, I'm just saying he had that power to do it. That's it. If I'm saying things like that, the devil's in the detail don't 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 jump on the clickbait not a clickbait but you've got a history of saying things bizarre things. bizarre thing there's actually a there's actually a parody account on twitter is that actually you welcome back everybody and i guess you already know what time it is you know we're back here you know we we reconvene on the number one podcast in the sport where it looks like sky sports might be delivering for us you know, we're nearly a year into this and it looks like they might be delivering for us because what we saw on Saturday was it it may not have had the star power, but it definitely had the quality. So let's let's tip our hats to Bournemouth because a year ago if you had said to someone we're gonna have boxing shows at Bournemouth, they would have laughed. At it. And you know what boxing Twitter's like and you know social media in general, they'd have given you a list of loads of other places you could have had a show. And it might have been I don't even know, Portsmouth. Southampton, Brighton, Eastbourne. They wouldn't necessarily have picked Bournemouth, but that was probably the best Sky and Boxer show that I've seen from a putting it together standpoint. And I, I don't know why that is. It had that feel of... Remember at school you had that last week of term and you knew there was going to be nothing too taxing and so your expectations weren't too high and you ended up having a good time because, you know, people brought cakes in, you got to watch movies and all that sort of stuff in that last week. And that's what this felt like. It felt like people signing off for summer and just having a good time. It helped that it was sunny. It helped that it was mostly conducted on the beach, which I thought was good. And I'll go as far as to say that Sky finally delivered us a show that Eddie Hearn either hasn't ever done nor could ever do. I don't think Matchroom could have done it that way. I'm not saying they couldn't have done better But they couldn't have done that. And that feeling of, you know, it's sunny. Everyone's being a bit of a character. Everyone's having fun. And there were talking points ahead of the fight. And so there's a good build-up in general. You know, the people I know who were there throughout the whole week were like, this is an absolutely brilliant build-up. Draining for the Bournemouth residents who were fighting or training. But really, really good. And then Fight Night delivered. And let's all go back to... I want to say January 2021 and I know Porky was like this and Porky was he was showing us the analysis of how the how the matchroom product and the Sky product had been diluted. So what used to be a Sky Fight night became pay-per-view. And so we were just getting basically warmed up next Gen's the Saturday night main events. This this was everything we needed on a Saturday night. And I go back to it. Boxing is this really simple marketing proposition. You take two talented men or women. You match them competitively. You let them get at it. That will never fail. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. That will never fail to generate interest. That will never fail to capture the public's imagination, because number one, the public love a fight. Number two, they love a fight where it looks like stuff is happening they couldn't do. And I might come on to the the wicked and bad promotion towards the end of this as a contrast. But what you had in the main event on Saturday was high quality. It was the best of British boxing. Now, people can say it wasn't a high technical threshold and it wasn't this and it wasn't that. Hard to disprove, but I can tell you what, it was entertaining, it was compelling, and it showed that those two belong in the same conversation right now, and for that, we have to give Sky credit. So it's best to start with the main event, and then we'll just kind of work our way around everything else. I I found the main event hard to watch, emotionally, I'll, I'll explain why. Now, I've known Isaac Chamberlain a long, long time, I don't. I don't consider Isaac a boxer that I follow. I consider Isaac Chamberlain a friend. He's a he's a he's a young head that hopefully I can provide some guidance, some entertainment, some knowledge. You know, you just he's a good friend. I can't put it any other way. And Chris Billum Smith, while not the same depth of friendship, I go back a long way with Chris. So you're looking at the tail end of 2015 when we were all in the the hay camp. So Chris I knew Chris through, you know, the time with David, the time with George Groves, and, you know, I've seen the growth. I've seen the development. And one of the things we have to correct is how people devalued Chris Smith's amateur career. Chris was a damn good amateur. Unfortunate, in a lot of ways, that he he was, he, he probably peaked in the wrong years. And as such, he... <clears throat> How do you describe it? His amateur career probably has a a closer parallel with Steve Bendel's than people would like to share. So just for people who who need to Google, Steve Bendel, well, he was there on Saturday. So if you want to see Steve Bendel, he was a guy with gray hair in Joe Pigford's corner. So Steve Bendel was one of the golden boys of British boxing, and people thought he'd do amazing things at the Atlanta Olympics. Unfortunately, Steve Bendel met Wayne Alexander, and Wayne Alexander had different ideas about who, <laughs> you know, who who the top dog is. And Wayne did what Wayne normally did to people, and he unleashed heavy leather. And St- it didn't seem that Steve Bendel ever recovered from that. But he was a high level amateur, and as a pro, he kind of crept up to that Commonwealth level without breaking through. And the good thing about Chris is Chris has broken that ceiling and made it to European level. But Chris Bingham Smith. In person, absolute gentleman, class act, lovely human being, and can talk about a lot more than just boxing. So, I understand why Sky have a a heavy interest in him, and I understand why he probably got on well with Eddie. But what we had on Saturday night were two warriors. Two guys who will dog it out. Like, yeah, they will dog it out. We, We knew that with Isaac... We saw him dog it out with Waddy. We saw him dog it out with Luke Watkins. We knew it with Chris. We saw him dog it out with Richard. We knew that these were guys where we weren't necessarily going to get the the long-range artillery. We were going to get trench warfare. And that made it even more compelling. Now, the scores were 117-111. If you didn't see the fight, you'll assume that it was a walk in the park for Chris Binham Smith. But that fight's one of those where over 12 rounds, maybe about 15 punches to determine that fight in Chris Bidham Smith's favor. Maybe about 15. And normally in a fight, it normally goes, you know, 7-8 one way, 7-8 the other way, 9-6 one way, 9-6 the other way, right? And that's why you get quite close scorecards in a fight that felt nip and tuck. Or sometimes you get quite wide ones like you did here, where they all seem to land on one side. And in this case, they did. And that wasn't luck. The Bill and Smith tactics were... They were obvious from the beginning. Stay right on Isaac's chest. Do not give him room to breathe. That was really it. Do not give him room to breathe and see how he copes with that pressure. Which is what you do when someone is nominally more skillful than you. Right? You go, right. We're just going to bring it down to where I'm comfortable. And if you can find comfort there and still impose yourself, then you're going to win this. If you can't, it's gonna be a long night for you. And so from round one to 12, Isaac was in a fight that he may not necessarily have anticipated. That's what I'd say. And tactically, I'm sure if Shane was sat next to me now, he'd say the same thing. This was more psychological than it was tactical. It was just right, stay on him and let your hands go. Yeah, almost dare him to try and knock you out. And that's what Chris did. And Chris is deceptively strong. Like, deceptively strong. And I've seen that with my own eyes. He, he's stronger than he looks because he gives us that air of being a nice guy. Polite, friendly, considered when he gives answers. But he's strong. And what he's also is game. He, 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 he'll stick to it. You know? There were some key misses from Team Chamberlain, from what I could see, because what Chris was able to do was was Kid Isaac, right? While 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 Chris was taking a breather and he just kind of faint, shake his shoulders a bit while circling around the ring. And you can see that he's getting his breath back. And you'll see it with Joshua. Joshua will do the same thing. He'll land a four punch combo and he'll faint as if he's going back in, but he'll be using that time to breathe. And I was watching it going, This is the time for Isaac to jump on him. Right there and then you need to jump on him. And it's not necessarily that Isaac couldn't He's more than capable of doing so. I don't think that was in the tactical plan. I don't think they'd observed that. But you can see, anytime Benham Smith had his hands down, he was tired. Anytime he had his hands up, he was ready to go again. Really obvious tell. And if you've got someone, and, you know, in boxing, people talk about John Pegg being this really astute, experienced trainer. Yet to see it, but Whatever. It just strikes me as being someone Hennessy slotted in there, but he didn't seem to add any value because they're the key things that we're going to differentiate. Because if you go back to the end of the fight when Chris was blowing and Isaac had him under pressure, you're like, oh, you could have done this a lot earlier if you knew when the right times to attack were. And so I look at that fight and I just say, how do you even differentiate the two? I've got to do this God, off the top of my head. So, Isaac fought Luke Watkins October 2018. Since then, he fought two guys I don't even remember. I think one was Matt Sen uh, and some other people. We right? But until the Bill and Smith fight, he'd only done about eight rounds of boxing in four years. We'll round it up to four years. He'd done eight rounds of professional boxing in four years. Contrast that with Chris, who had, had twice as many fights, and Chris went deep into all of those fights pretty much. So Chris has probably, in the last four years, Chris has done, what, three or four times as many rounds as Isaac? That's experience. All the training camp is stuff. Staying in shape is cool. Running is cool. All of that stuff is cool. Sparring is cool. Nothing beats Saturday night. And Chris Billam smith had more recent experience, more learning points than Isaac had. And that was really the difference in this fight. And I'm not going to say that to denigrate what Chris did. I think Chris understands because he had a five-week camp. So he was boxing off that experience he had built up against guys like Poor, Tommy McCarthy, etc., etc., right? And Isaac didn't have that to lean on, and you need that. I always go back to what Andre Sterling said, where Andre just said, once I knew I could do 10 rounds, nothing scared me in boxing again. And sometimes you need those those knowledge points to go, right, I'm comfortable here. I don't feel... Isaac had those, and then when I watch what Isaac did, and I've I've known Miguel's Isaac, I've known the Rubio Isaac, I've known the Angel Fernandez Isaac, and now I'm looking at this version. And what I said in the fight was, everything Isaac's doing is is textbook. If you're gonna like show someone a boxing textbook about how to be in the ring. Everything Isaac did is what you would do, but that's the problem with the textbook. The textbook barely correlates to reality. The reality was Isaac needed to just dog it out in three and four punch combinations. That's what he needed to do, and at the point where he was starting to burn himself up, then your corner pull you back and say, get back on your jab, and that wasn't coming out of that corner. Contrast that with the corner work that was happening in Chris Billham Smith's corner where Shane knew exactly how to navigate Chris because they've known each other for seven years. And not only have they known each other, they're friendly, like he knows Chris's character, Chris knows Shane's character. They're not that far apart in age, so they're friends. They are friends. And you could see that from the insight that was being given out. And I didn't see the same in the Isaac Chamberlain corner and that hurt me because I was like if Isaac had had a wise old head in that corner that might have made some difference now I can't say he would have won but you're looking for any margin right any margin for improvement is what you're looking for and so that's what I saw like the stuff Chris did wasn't textbook it was just a tough guy saying this is my home crowd no one's going to embarrass me and today we're going to find out how bad you want it and Isaac was doing all the stuff that is correct and it's all the stuff you can do against lower level opposition right that version of Isaac beats most guys who are sub-British sub-commonwealth level beats them easily probably stops them but there's a way you fight when it's equal and it's really technical it's really about pride and manhood and strength of character and strength of body when the equals fight that's what happens it's not about finesse at that point. It's about grit. And I don't know if that page of the script was communicated over to Isaac, unfortunately. And I'm gutted because, like I said, I love Isaac with all my heart. Like, what great human being, lovely character, warm. You know, like Chris, too. You know, both family men, you know, young fathers. You know, fathers to young children, I should say. And while that's not relevant in the wider boxing context, it is relevant in terms of the people they are. And I, yeah, yeah, I'm always going to be biased in that sense that I never want to see Isaac lose. It's how I feel. And I was gutted, but, you know, Chris is a good man. Chris is a good man. I've always had good experiences with him. So now hopefully he can kick on. The worst thing that can happen now is he ends up in this perpetual loop of British and European. Like, they, they need to get him a guy like Makabu. And Makabu's not that expensive. Now, whether you can get Makabu in Bournemouth, I don't know. You'd, you'd have to do it at... Is it Dean Court, the stadium? So you'd have to do it there. For anyone that listens to this in Bournemouth, whatever happened to Scott Mean? I swear when I was a kid, he was meant to be the next best thing. But yeah, if they can do it at the at the Bournemouth Stadium, get Makabu down. Let, let, let Chris test himself at that level. Um, in terms of Isaac, what does Isaac do next? I just want to see him have a run of three or four fights. Now, the concerning thing is he's got a fractured orbital bone, which once again, let's... Let's take a second to appreciate how tough this man is. You fracture your orbital bone in the third round and you keep going. There's no loser in a fight like that. There's no loser in a fight like that. And as boxing fans, that's what we should be doing. We should just be applauding and saying, Sky, thank you. Chris, thank you. Isaac, thank you. Because... That's the old school matchmaking we want to see. Now, look, they could fight each other in two years and Isaac could get six or seven fights in that time and then it's a closer fight. It's a more competitive fight. I don't know. But that's the matchmaking we want. Fight when it's hot. Winner goes one way, loser goes another way. Meet again when it's hot again. That's why they're talking about Reactport versus Bill and Smith again. Um, I'd like to see Chris go for a world title if that's not feasible. Fight Jack Massey, but he's got an IBO. Are we counting the IBO? I don't know. Um, Once Isaac's eyes healed, I'd like to see him in with someone like Luke Watkins and let's start building from there. You get him some Luke Watkins fights, Tommy McCarthy's, those sorts of guys. You know those guys who are competitive enough with Craig Glover? Competitive enough for him to work on things and him to validate what works at a certain level. That's what I'd like to see. Or maybe just let him go and spend some time with a guy like Beterbiev and just learn that. You know, just expose where the holes are in the game because I think once he does that, he'll find another level. But I do worry about how long this is going to take to recover from because you know, we saw what happened with Kel Brook. Now, he came back too soon and he paid a heavy price for it. So I don't know. What I do know is, as boxing fans, we should all be grateful that Sky understand that these are the fights that we're trying to see more often. So we've got to touch on the other highlight and... This one fills me with a lot of pride, like, you know when you talk about someone for so long and you sound like a broken record and everyone's saying, mate, I'm not sure, I'm not sure about the kid, I'm not sure about this. And I used to just say, and I've said this from probably my first ever podcast with Martin and Andy in the New Age, I just said, Ben Wick is the most special kid I've seen in this country. He was special when I saw him at the Haringey, was it eight years ago? I can't even remember now. I remember seeing him then, 2015, um, when he boxed for Firewalker and I remember watching this kid and I went, oh my god, um, who is he? How can I kidnap him and how can I train him? So for all of this time I've known that Ben Whittaker's special, right? I think at the time I said he will be a great middleweight, uh, GB had other plans so they said you're going to be an Olympian at light heavyweight because at the time they were trying to get Jordan Reynolds through as well. but. Jordan Reynolds, for some reason just never seemed to make the grade at GB, and I don't know why or what that that was, but then they moved Ben to 81, now here's the thing that people don't understand, when they told Ben to move up to 81, one of the first things I saw him do was press a 32 kilo kettlebell over his head, and I went, "Uh, okay, so this kid is strong, you know, because you know, you, you, you see the hair, you see the, you, see, you see the image, and you assume he's just he's a bit, bit effeminate. And I've heard people say this. But you see him training, you see him fighting, and you're like, oh, no, 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 no. This guy can take heads off. So that's why I've never had a doubt that he'd be a good pro. And I think the quote I'd use regularly was, if his chin holds up at the pro level, I don't see many of the current crop beating him. In this country, internationally, doesn't matter. I do not see many people beating Ben Whitaker. Because the kid's what, 6'1", 6'2"? Well, he might even be 6'3", to be honest. Tall guy, makes the weight relatively easily, strong at the weight, has had consistency of training. And at this point, I'm gonna take a stop to just shout out his old man. Like, shout out to, to Tony Wilson now. <laughs> How do you describe Tony? For everything Ben is in terms of size, his dad is bigger, like bigger. So I'm like, okay. so you come from good genetic stock. And I think his old man was a decent boxer as well back in the day. But things got in the way. But his dad's had this singular vision of turning Ben into this. Like, this is what Ben's been created for, to be. And how he had the vision, no idea. When I see him, I'm actually going to ask, like, where did this all come from? Because I find that interesting that they've never deviated from their principles that he has to be all of these things. And when they went looking for a trainer, like, this is another thing that people can learn from. It was a deliberate process. It helps that you're an Olympic silver medalist, so you already have a profile. But to go through, I can't remember all the names, like maybe Ronnie Shields, Bo Mac, um some other ones, and Sugar Hill, you know, you've, you've been around the best and you choose Sugar Hill Stewart because you're a fan of the Kronk style and I love that, there was a real purpose behind it, and this is how you do things, like nothing was rushed, nothing was rushed, you know, I, I can't say I was involved in the process, what I was, was an observer of their process, and I thought, this is really, really good, no corners were cut. No, so you look at Ben Whittaker today, you're on Sky fantastic. Like, if they can leverage all the Sky assets in his favor, which after his debut, I think they will, he'll be a superstar. He will be a superstar. If they can then, you know, leverage that top rank connection over in America and cross pollinate that way, that's going to be insane. And then you look, you got 258, so you might end up on the Joshua card in Jeddah. And then you've got Sugar Hill. So you've got the links to Fury as well. So you're just around excellence. And it's not by accident. So credit to everyone behind Ben Whittaker because this has been well thought out in a way that I haven't seen another boxer do. And they could have all done it. So all of this, just to say, I've waited for this debut more than most. Like, more than most. I, I go so far back with this that I've waited for it, but I had no doubt how it would go. Now I can't even remember the opponent's name. Bless him. But I know he drove down from County Durham, or wherever it was. And I'm sure he regrets that drive now because he was he was the convenient Patsy in all of this. He was the pantomime villain in all of this. And what you had in the first round was the Ben Whitaker box of tricks. But here's the thing. A lot of times you see people do that stuff, right? And there are boxes I've seen do it in the amateurs, but there's no control with it. But Ben would showboat and then put the jab back in your face just to let you know this isn't going to be easy. But all the tricks were there. He was making the guy hit the ropes. Ah! And that's stuff that he's always done to Jordan Reynolds in the ABAs he's done it to everyone and that's a legacy of consistency of training when you do the stuff often enough and you work it up the levels and as you get older you perfect the timing of when to execute those things so people say it's showboating but it's actually really part of his arsenal he could be conventional if he needs to but he can also do that and in the second round you saw that and you saw you saw two things one you saw how strong the kid was Number two, you saw that desire to replicate a lot of what the cronk did, and it is about that strong jab, strong right hand. let them respect the power, and then you just work behind that because that right hand he threw that was placed that wasn't that wasn't a swing that was placed to cause maximum damage, which he did and you know all up in fight week. You saw how Ben was. And the thing is, a lot of people will say, "Ah, you know, he talks a good game. He does this, he does that. But if you listen to his tone of voice, there's something really interesting about his tone of voice. His tone of voice is that kind of thing that says, I really believe what I'm saying. This isn't just for clicks or views. I genuinely believe what I'm saying here. And I'm like, whew, okay. This is, uh, yeah, this is serious is how I look at it. So I'm looking forward to it. Now, people are going to ask me, who do I think his natural rivals will be? It'll be Karel Atalma. Because they're very different. Like, Karel Atalma just does things quietly. Destructively, but quietly. And Ben, ben will let you know what he's doing, when, when, and how. You know? And so that's the difference between the two. But ability-wise, there's not much in it between those guys. They express it differently, but they are elite. They're like world elite in terms of their skill sets and profiles. I think Ben's probably got a better setup, so I think development wise, Ben's got the advantage. But Carol's younger. So if he can find the right setup or they can get the right vision, it gets it gets interesting. But let's look out for those two. I mean that's gonna be the plot arc over the next three to five years, you know. I know he's talking about guys like Dan Aziz, but not yet, (laughs) man. Not yet, not yet. You gotta build up that that reserve of character and strength and resilience to do the 12, like all these other guys have had to. So, yeah, let's not start calling out for things where it can get sticky. But look, come back to this point. I'm a massive Ben Whitaker fan, fan of everything around him right now. And I just want the kid to succeed because if he does, being the way he is, I think it's amazing for getting kids back into boxing. He may be the guy that we need as a lightning conductor for these kids to start boxing again. So in terms of the rest of the card, um, I tried to catch as much of it as I could, but you know Saturdays are busy. Something I found interesting though, so I don't know if anyone watched the Lee Cutler fight, which was a good fight actually. Um, whatever we say about Lee Cutler, Lee Cutler will be an entertaining fights. That that that's and that's what that's what we want for TV. We we need guys like Lee Cutler, but what I found interesting was he was on the, I want to say the YouTube stream or the Facebook stream. I can't remember which one it was. And it did four and a half thousand viewers right, for the whole fight. And maximum shows don't do that on their undercards. It's normally 900 to 1,000. So that's another reminder that, you know, you go on Sky for a reason. So four and a half thousand people now know who Lee Cutler is. And so I really enjoyed that. I thought he did well. So I'm, you know, big pat on the back to my friend Kev Thorn and Lee. Um, the man Union who made his home in Bournemouth, you know, the whole SK4 operation, so shouts out to those guys. Uh, who else boxed? Joe Pigford. Yeah, so Pigford was after the main event. He did all right. There's, there's still some bits missing in Joe Pigford. And you know, I say this, at the top level, you can't just rely on power. So you've got to be able to have punch placement. You've got to understand where your combinations need to go. And what Joe doesn't do, which he could easily fix, and he'd be scary, he doesn't go from over to under. So what he'll do is he'll throw like an overhand right, and then he'll reset and throw a left hook to the head. Whereas you're almost like, look, if you want to throw that overhand right, come up with something, left uppercut, left hook, come up with something, and then throw the right hand again. Because by that point, you've moved your opponent's defenses to a position where, okay, I can attack again. But when you reset, you allow them to reset. So it's little things like that that I think are probably holding Joe back from being a guy that could put a dent in a troy williamson a josh kelly a ted cheeseman it's those little things but he's in good hands and he's cut. these guys have all come a long way i remember watching joe pigford against aaron morgan that's how long i've known about joe but i'm happy for kev because kev's been on the grind i met kev with chris with chris bidham smith so i've known kev nearly seven years and he's been on that grind of wanting to establish himself as a respected trainer in the country i think he's doing it and he does it in a way where he's personable he's a guy you can have a beer with and have a laugh with and i like that because too many people take boxing too seriously so happy for for him in that sense caroline dubois obviously out again which is good Hassan azim um the i think he's the older brother right i'm not going to say he's he's flashing to deceive so i don't think he is i think he's also a good fighter But I have the same question of him as I do with Adam. What's going to happen when someone really starts digging on their chin? If it holds up, my goodness, we're in for a good time. If it doesn't, it'll be fun while it lasted. But overall, in terms of the show, yeah, a a lot of things to to be positive about. I am intrigued, though. Um, And I don't know how to put it. The, the Fraser Clark thing, and I know he got rid of Bracamonte with a, with a really good left hook, but that's a Bracamonte who wasn't really in shape and didn't look like he took the fight seriously. Fraser Clark's an Olympian. Fraser Clark's been part of that team GB setup. I think he was there before Joshua, if I'm correct. So he had a whole decade as part of that GB setup. Why is he still fighting guys like Bracamonte? You've got to start moving him on quickly. Like, you, you want to get Fraser Clark in with those sorts of, you know, those threatening heavyweights, your Nick Webbs and so on and so forth. You've got to get him up there. And then he should be targeting those guys like Huey Fury after a year and a half, two years. Like, like He's got to move quick. Because injuries, the GB system does a lot to you physically. Will he be able to do it? I don't know. I'd, part of me wants him to do well. But... I have a feeling we're we're, we're going to get to a stalemate at some point where he finds his level because it's hard to develop after 29, but I'd like him to because he's actually quite a nice guy, Like To be around, he's a really, really nice guy, but they've got to move him quickly. They really have to move him quickly because I can't, (laughs) I genuinely can't see, I can't see, if it doesn't happen in the next 18 months, I can't see it happening at all. There's also still a question around, what do you do with Mikel Lawal? Now I'm a fan of his, as a person, as a boxer, I think he has a lot. But you have to be more than just power to to really crack the British Cruiserweight division because there are a lot of good guys there now. And he's got the game-changing power, but sometimes you want to see the subtlety and I think he's got that in him, but hopefully his team are looking out for him. But it was good to see him get another knockout. I think they need to televise him a bit more and actually start building around Mikel a while, especially if you're if you're gonna take the cruiserweight seriously. Cause just off the top of my head, you got what? You got Richard, Lawrence might come over. You got so Lawrence, Richard, CBS, Isaac, Dion Juma's there as well. Scott Forrest is on his way up. you you're building a cruiserweight stable, and all of these guys can provide compelling fights. And i actually also be intrigued to know whether Scott Forrest and Chris Binham-Smith were amateurs at the same time. That'd be quite interesting. Well, no, so overall, I think, good Sky show. Um, you know, we could easily say the MVP of the whole thing should be shared between Chris Binham-Smith and Isaac Chamberlain. I'm going to give it to Johnny Nelson. If you remember, Johnny Nelson at Matchroom, marginalised, Right? Eddie, Eddie had his go-to people, Bellew, Froch, Barker, whoever, like, he, he had anyone apart from Johnny, you know, Johnny was just a talking head, and under Sky and Boxer, Johnny's become the Johnny most of us know outside the ring, you may not agree with everything he says, but you'll watch his videos because he's compelling and he's entertaining, and he understands how this game works, and so I thought he had a hell of a week this week. The whole, the whole would he beat Usyk thing continuing, which for the record, I think he can beat Usyk. I think a prime Johnny Nelson can beat a prime Usyk. Now, if they fought 100 times, how many would Johnny win? Maybe 55. Now, there's all sorts of boxing logic that would underpin that, mainly driven by the fact that Usyk likes you to give him something to work off. Johnny gives you nothing to work off. So how would Usyk adjust to that? And in adjusting to that, would he then leave himself open to what Johnny could do? Because Johnny's a strong cruiserweight. Fit cruiserweight could throw punches in large volumes if he had to. Could could do a lot more things than his fight record would indicate because then he was just doing things to win. But Usyk might bring the best out of Johnny. But yeah, if they fought 100 times, he might win 55. He might win 45. It's that sort of discussion. Now, when I hear boxing fans talk about Ah, oh, Usyk would beat him easily. And I just pause and I go, if you look at Usyk's record, and I can't even remember who he's actually fought, but let's start with uh, Glavatsky, the one that Lawrence knocked out and Usyk didn't. To be some tuna who at one point we thought would be the cruiserweight Mayweather and turned out to be a bit of a bust. Uh, Michael Hunter. I think he was complaining about making weight, but Michael Hunter hasn't really done much since then. And this is a test of greatness. Like, if you look at Mayweather, Mayweather beat guys who went on to be good. Do you see what I mean? And so that generally happens. You beat guys who still go on to be good. Uh, You know, Canelo's a good example of that. Who else did he fight? Gassiev. Gassiev's done nothing in the last four years. Brady's got beaten by an Australian that no one knew about a month ago. Bellew? Well, I'll let you guys fill in the gap there. And then you fight Charles Witherspoon, who was literally selling a Honda Accord the day he got the call to fight Usyk. And you've got Derek Chisora, who's definitely seen better days, so put him in the Tony Bellew bucket. And then Anthony Joshua, who all the Usyk fans have been slating for being rubbish. So when you look at Usik's record, uh, there's Marco Huck in there somewhere, isn't there? Marco Huck was like 46 fights into his career. That's not an impressive run. People say he's a pound for pound great. That's not an impressive run. None of those guys went on to do anything afterwards. But look at Errol Spence. Errol Spence beats people who, who go on to do other things. They all come back. That's a sign that you're fighting the right people. Usyk didn't fight the right people. And there'll be some smarts who'll tweet me and go, yeah, but Johnny didn't fight any world beaters either. I'm like, exactly. These guys are in the same bucket. And in that case, a fight between them has to be competitive because they're not really Hall of Fame type guys. Now, if Usyk stops Joshua, and I'm going to use the word again, if he stops Joshua, we can elevate him. But if he doesn't stop Joshua, then no, because Ruiz stopped Joshua, and I'm confident that a fully leaned out Ruiz is smaller than Usyk. But back to Johnny, I thought Johnny had a hell of a week. I think you you kind of you can build something around Johnny because Johnny will always get you the right kind of attention, always. I think you know Adam Smith was probably better in this one than he's been for a while. Uh, Spencer Oliver's been all right. It's, it's, it's been a good week for Sky and Boxer. Now, I'm still not sure what the real proposition is, but if they're telling us this is what we're going to get at least once a month and then there'll be some pay-per-views laid over that, fine. Okay, but if we can get this level of card every month where there's a top-of-the-bill fight that delivers a that because Chamberlain versus Bill and Smith, for me, is fight of the year. Fight of the year. Of all the fights British fans have seen, this is fight of the year. This goes beyond Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano and all of that, because that was manufactured. This isn't manufactured. These guys are natural rivals. No one's had to move up in weight. No one's had to move down in weight. These are natural rivals. So this is fight of the year so far, and we're into the second half of the year. And so credit to Sky for delivering that, but you've got to deliver that level every four weeks because what you've shown is it's not that expensive to do. So I'm just going to do a little run around about the rest of the boxing world. We'll start with the channel five show. Wasn't great. Not particularly well attended. Um, didn't seem particularly well organized. Visually looked a bit grubby, looked a bit cheap. Um, this is not a, a great start for Wasserman boxing and I sort of wonder, why would you get rid of Mick Hennessey if this is what you've replaced him with? Like, I don't know, you can find the videos on Twitter. The thing looked a third full tops. And they were telling us Josh Kelly's a big ticket seller in the Northeast and what we've established is he's not. This is why he needs Lewis Ritson. I don't think Troy Williamson moves a lot of units either. So those guys fighting in the Northeast doesn't make any sense. In fact, I don't think boxing in the Northeast makes any sense at all. They've never shown an appetite to really Show out for their guys. Never shown that appetite. They do it all the time for football. You know, like for a really mediocre football team, which is what Newcastle United are. They come out fifty-two thousand every week. But you can't come out for Josh Kelly. But I guess he's from Sunderland, so whoever whoever chose that venue should be sacked but yeah that card overall that Wasserman card it had Hosea Stewart versus Frank the Ignatius uh credit to those guys for taking that fight that early in their careers because they can't they, they both must be under five fights in and they decided to fight each other Four to a draw pace was really slow skill level wasn't all that um both have to do better I don't see them having long careers if they don't get their act in order but I like the courage to face each other that early in their careers. Didn't see much of the Harlem-Eubank fight, but saw that he got hit after the ref yelled break, and the other guy got disqualified. And it's good to see referees being decisive in that. like No talking to, no warning, because like he dropped Eubank with a punch, which was well after the ref said break, and the well after the ref put his arm in the way. Now, where that came from, I don't know, but in those situations, you've got to be suspended for years. You can't just be suspended, or I don't even think he will be suspended, but it's dangerous doing that, you know. And I know, I know the counter-argument is protect yourself at all times, but the refs yell, break, stop boxing. There's a degree of trust you have to have for your opponent. And that was violated without question. But yeah, we're watching that Channel 5 show, I can't remember who was on it. I think Lisa Whiteside was on it. If anyone's had worse luck than Isaac Chamberlain in the last few years, it's probably Lisa Whiteside. And for so long lived in Nicola Adams' shadow. And finally she decides to break through and become pro and somehow s Jam just dropped the ball on that. Just massively dropped the ball on that. And as much as they like to talk about this, that and the third, nah. They've done nothing for her. Absolutely nothing for her, which is a disappointment. I think Beck Connolly was on that card and she fought, she fought the girl that beat Zoe Hunt Smith. A couple of weeks ago. Jordan Parker? I think it might be Jordan Parker. And yeah, Bet got stopped. But Beck's fighting at 140 pounds. Wow. Um, She's really living that journeyman life. So congratulations to her, you know, sponsored athletes. I've got to tip my hat off to her. She's brave as they come because, wow. You know, she's what she fought at Super Bantam all the way up to, like, Junior Welter. It's crazy. And then they had that, that Drago kid, Steve Robinson. I, Okay, he beat Phil Williams. Great. But if we're being honest, put him in with Jamie Shakiba and find out pretty quickly. In fact, put all of them in. Put Jose Stewart in with Jamie Shakiba and find out pretty quickly where their level is. Put Frank Ignatius in with Jamie Shakiva, Find out where their level is. We can't have this many heavyweights of a similar generation floating around and we don't establish what the hierarchy is. Uh, we need to get to that point pretty quickly. But everyone, everyone's got their sort of pet heavyweight where they're like, we're just going to maneuver you. We're going to maneuver you into position. Position for what? They're not good. That's why I like Jamie. Jamie's like, I'll fight Fraser Clark now. I don't see why that fight can't happen, by the way. Why can't that fight happen? I guess they're protecting Fraser. But I'd like to see that fight happen. But let me just take a step back. I don't know if anyone saw the tweet from Paul Reddy. This is Paul Reddy. Maybe the worst matchmaker boxing has ever seen. Yeah? The worst matchmaker boxing has ever seen. It's talking about, ah, you know, Ben Whitaker doesn't need learning fights. Just put him in with Dan Aziz. And I'm just like, you fucking idiot. You fucking wally. Yeah, I mean, you're the reason people's careers got butchered on Matchroom. And that's why you had to bounce. Then you decided, I want to become a sports agent. If I was managed by him, who's managed by him? It's probably like, is it Callum Smith? You know, you could put Callum Smith in there. What's he done? Nothing. I worry about Sky Nicholson, to be honest with you. If he's involved with Sky Nicholson, I genuinely worry about where her career will go. Because the guy is absolutely Clueless. Clueless. About what it takes to win in boxing. Clueless. Guys, this is a complete weapon. I mean, like hopefully Porky puts him in weapon of the week. Literally just for breathing. So, here's the whole paradox when it comes to that Wasserman card. Fight Zone delivered a better show. I think Fight Zone had, Devin Nina Hughes on there? And did they also have Luke Watkins on there? Which is probably better than anything you saw in Channel 5. So this is where we've got to. And I'd love to say that everyone's upping their game. I think this is a dilution effect where the product's going to be mostly the same. Between anyone not Matchroom, BT or Sky. So Luke Watkins won. I can see that down the line being a fight for Isaac. Um, Nina Hughes won. Got a lot of time for Nina Hughes. I remember her from the Nina Smith days when she boxed with James Cook. I think that was her first trainer. And you're going back to the days of, like, that's got to be 2009, like the early days of Dillian White. And so to see that she's done that and she got to box for her country initially, I don't think she was in contention for 2012, settled down, had a family, became a mum, came back, and is still doing a lot of damage. And she's such a lovely young lady, you know, Nina Hughes. So I'm happy for her. Hopefully, we can get some big fights. Like there are a lot of these ladies between super bantam and featherweight that could just fight each other now. It doesn't need building up because there's no one to build them up with. You whack her in with Ebony Bridges, whack her in with Ellie Scotty, whack all these people in together, and let's just get let's just get at it. But credit to, to Dennis and the guys, um, Asa Valley and everyone for delivering a good show on, on what you call it fight zone. You know, good to see that. They're now joining the pack. You know, Channel 5 should have given the contract to Dennis and they were—they know that and they regret that now. I also want to shout out Yusuf Kamari who won on Saturday. Now, the reason I want to talk about this is Yusuf's managed by Dillian and it doesn't seem there's a direction for Yusuf right now. It's almost like if Dillian doesn't box, knowing that he manages boxes. But here's the strange thing. Yusuf entertains in every fight. He's a guy that you'd watch on Sky. You know what we just talked about before, about you know, every month we should get a fight where we're like, wow, they really put it on the line. That's what Yusuf Kamari does. So why doesn't Yusuf get an opportunity? You know, you're having shows at Wembley. Yusuf's from that part of the world. like He'll move numbers there. This is bad management. And this is what I say to all boxers. I know you guys are listening. This is what I say to most people in boxing. If you're not on top of your affairs, if you're not asking questions and having expectations, your career will just meander until the next best thing shows up. And then you'll find yourself unable to phone the people you used to phone. You have to be on top of your career. Every second. Because if you're not, they won't care about you. But happy for Yusuf. Hopefully his next show is a televised show because he's... He's that level of talent. He's that level of entertainment that he deserves. That so absolutely happy for him. Also heard that because Wasserman announced it, didn't they? That Lyndon Arthur's joined. And I'm, how do you, how do you sort of rationalise that? So you went from being on Frank's show, and I understand why you'd leave Frank because essentially Frank treated you like the B side when you had the belt, right? And you didn't even get home advantage in the rematch after having won. So you know that you're not a priority there. Um, clearly Matchroom said no. I don't know what Sky said. And you end up on Channel 5. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing because you can still have fights. There are still guys out there. If if the Southers still have the same contacts in Germany, you can fight Boyce Saulus and Krasnicki and you can get a world ranking of those two guys. Domestically, you could fight a guy like Rocky Fielding. Um Pitters, you could make a Dan Aziz fight he's got options but I don't feel that's the the Lyndon Arthur platform I, I always feel he's someone who needs a push but Lyndon Arthur a good guy to watch I think Lyndon Arthur's a good boxer I'd like to see him carry on and maybe fight for Commonwealth and fight for a British at some point he deserves it him versus Dan Aziz would be an entertaining fight to be honest but I don't know excuse me I don't know how likely that is to be made what I wanted to do was touch on the Danny Garcia fight. So, Danny fights uh, Jose Benavides. And, you know, we, we all remember Jose Benavides from the guy that used to spy Manny Pacquiao as a 17-year-old. So, yeah, I mean we know he comes with pedigree. But one thing I find interesting is his leg hasn't got any better from the Crawford fight. So, I think his right leg is pretty much lame. So, he can't get much purchase on his right hand because of, like, his knee issues from being shot. But... Danny didn't look his best in that fight. I think we can all agree upon. But, you know, post-fight, we understood why. And it's a tough one because I'm a Danny Garcia fan. I think technically, in terms of his boxing IQ, he's brilliant. I've always had the impression he's a little bit work shy when it comes to really putting the pressure on. Like, he'd rather just put you down with one shot than grind you down. But big fan of his. In that post-fight interview where he he highlights his struggle over the last two years and a lot of people see it as being soft but I think the reality is that life as a fighter is incredibly hard you have to remember Danny Garcia would have had 15 solid years of being told he's amazing he's the next big thing and then he gets a few reality checks right and suddenly people are like "Ah, he's nobody he was overrated he got lucky against Khan and all this sort of stuff now, people assume that doesn't affect boxers. Like, negativity affects you. It's that whole um, Chinese water torture idea, isn't it? It's just one drop at a time, but eventually you'll get them. And I wish we understood this a bit more. Now, I don't know if anyone remembers. So, I remember being a university student. And in my second year, I was applying for work experience and stuff. And, you know, you've got to do your, what do they call them? It's not a mini-pupilage when you're a lawyer. I think it's just a vacation scheme, right? So you're applying to these firms to do your vacation scheme. And I reckon in that application season, you might do between 50 and 100 applications. And you were just getting rejected, rejected and rejected and rejected. Everyone passed on me. I just got loads of rejection letters. And I remember for about... Three weeks afterwards, I was like, why am I even doing this? Like, yeah, I'm going to get the degree, but who's going to want me? And and I was home. I was home with my family, my mum and my dad. And I was like, oh, this is so hard. No one told me it would be this hard. And I remember my mum saying to me, think of what you've been through to get here. And that didn't stop you. Right? So I've gone through and I remember my third year just grafting and grafting you know just remembering that actually I am good enough to do all of this stuff and so when I finished university because I finished later than everyone because I had to to do another exam Um, they they judiced me so I had to do another exam but you know I got my, my final year I think it was like a 73 average And I was like, oh my god, I've got to do this milk round again. And the first form I did was for Goldman Sachs. And they asked me for an interview. And hand on heart, I wept. That's one of the few times like tears just welled up. I was like, because I did it as a shot to nothing. I never thought Goldman Sachs would be like interested in me. So I applied. And I just spoke from what I believed was my heart and it connected. And, you know, that recruitment process was a lot of fun, by the way. A lot of alcohol was drunk and a lot of friendships that persist to this day were made. But I just say that to say that things that seem innocuous and some of you guys on this are recruitment consultants and you don't realize that sending that thanks but no thanks has an effect on someone because they're trying to plan a life. You're making a very small decision, a yes or no, but they're trying to plan a life. Danny Garcia in boxing is trying to plan a career. So when people are saying, well, I think you should retire, I think you should stop, all that stuff kind of chips away at you. And I know people can counter back it always and just go, right. But look at his social media. He's always there larking around with his wife and his kids and his family. I'm like, he's got to do that for the publicity. No one knows what he's going through in the background. So I'm glad he came out and just showed that it's tough. Even these guys who retired that we know, it's not easy. You walk around and go, I used to be a boxer. And now you're a mediocre scaffolder or you mean, you're driving buses. I don't think people understand how hard that is for a man. Because remember, as a man, there's one rule that unites us all. We are not allowed to lose. We are not allowed to have a day off. We can never take a backward step. And that is the pressure we sign up for every day. So, we do need to be nicer to each other because we're all going through the same pain. We need to be more empathetic towards each other. I think sometimes in boxing we are too cruel. You know, there was the Danny Flex and Pylon on Saturday. Now, what did Danny do? From what I hear, Danny is divorced now. So, whatever he does in regards to women is up to him. So, he is pursuing Sonny Edwards' the sister. Now, at various points, he should have realized that this could go left very quickly, which he chose not to. And that's on him. And then when the expose comes out, and quite rightly, like he, he, he said some things he probably shouldn't have said. right? If he had just said, look, I like you, let's go to the pictures. I don't think you could have really put that out there because then you look like a bitch. But then when you're saying I like Charlie, but I, I don't think Sonny likes me, you're taking shots. And at that point, you must have known that this is going to come out. And had that been a one-off for me, I'd have just been like, nah, Danny caught caught with his hand in the cookie jar, move on. But there's a deeper issue that he's had a reputation for this. And I'm going back to like 2011 when he was at, was it fighting fit was a thing that he used to do? And he's had a reputation since then. And I think I can name about eight or nine women that he's slid into the DMs while he was married and behaved in a manner that's not becoming of a married man. So I said my piece on it because what him and I have is personal, but I'm not going to pile in any further simply because who knows what he's going through. And sometimes we all need to stop. Like, I, I, get, I get some dumbass ass messages from people. And I don't react because I'm like, you're just an angry person, man. Life hasn't been kind to you. So you come on Twitter to vent and you think you've got a position of superiority because you have some boxing knowledge and you just want to vent. Like, I don't take that personally because I don't care. I I have an opinion. You have an opinion. I care about my opinion. I don't necessarily care about yours because it's not mine. And sometimes you have to remind people of that. Just go look. Just wind your neck in. No, you don't need to be heard on this matter. And you know, I could be better at it. I'm still learning, but I think as a boxing community, this mental health thing, it comes up so often, it's talked about so little, that we need to understand that we're doing something wrong, is what I would say on that. Um, right, I need to go off and watch the Commonwealth Games. I have no idea who we should be looking out for. One name I can say with absolute certainty is Jodie Wilkinson. I really like her. Uh, Lewis Richardson comes highly recommended as well. But I think I'll be watching the Australian team a bit more. Ah, see what Katie Parker can do this time. Um, really interesting with the Australians actually how they spend a long time in their system and they never seem to get better, they just seem to get fitter and stronger they just never get better technically don't know why yeah, I might ask one of them one day but then I'm going to sign off because I've been talking for too long and my, my voice is starting to go so I'll say guys, listen, enjoy the rest of your day whatever you end up doing if you like the content as always like and share introduce someone else to it um, I do need to do some shout outs actually before I slide out no so i, I have to I have to really shout out Daryl and Shane. so for context, I was at a wedding uh, a few days ago, and I'd almost like I always forget that sometimes people you know share the podcast on forums that aren't social media, so I ended up having a, a great boxing conversation with Daryl Shane, and even when Adrian intervened and that was absolutely insane just to think of the reach and i'm always grateful when people tell me that they enjoy it and that's the sort of thing that forces me to to only record when i have something meaningful to say so it was lovely to meet them and their wonderful partners as well you know both guys are definitely punching above their weight which is you know what we like to see we wholeheartedly encourage that behavior also got a shout out matt Skelton. so i was with matt last was it last Monday? Yeah, I played rugby last week. So it was good to catch up with Matt Skelton. Interesting guy, man. Always, always, always on a hustle. So it was good to see him finally because, you know, we've gone back and forth messaging and, like, we just... We were about a mile apart. So it was like, all right, let's just make this happen. On the off chance. So, no, no, look. I think I've said it so many times that you're bored of me saying this. There's nothing I say on here that I'd never say in public. Like this is this is the only official record of my views on boxing there's nothing else there's no back channel communications nothing like that i can stand behind everything said on here you know you've got to have that accountability you've got to be visible to the people who you you listen to ah then there's a guy I bumped into in the supermarket i've forgotten his name but that's the second time i bumped into him in a year and he enjoys the podcast too uh you know he's gonna pull me up next time he sees me but look it's mad That's one of the things I have to get used to. The fact that I am recognizable now. You know, I can't just move in the shadows. So yeah, I'm grateful for that. And I think now is probably a good time to sign off. I don't know, this might be an hour long. (laughs) That wasn't the plan. Uh, Take care, guys. And I will be back soon, I promise.